let me tell you about a life-changing elixir of the gods. I'm talking about Strava Craft Coffee. I'm telling you it will change your life. If you're like me and you drink a lot of coffee, you have noticed those negative side effects. I don't even get jittery that much, but it happens. It can mess with your stomach. It can make you feel run down later on. You can have the crash. As much as we love our coffee, we know all of these things are going to come with it. But you know what? Not with Strava. It has changed my life. It has made me a far more productive and awake and less shaky person as I deal with whatever I've got to deal with throughout the day. Some of these people on Twitter, grab that Strava. It's rich in CBD. It's great coffee that you can purchase in either K-Cups for your Keurig. You can get whole bean, you can ground it yourself, or you can get it ground. Whatever way you take your coffee, they will ship it to you. It's delicious. There's all kinds of different uh, flavors that you can get, and it's good for you. It's actually good for you. I can personally vouch for the health benefits of CBD-infused products, particularly Strava Craft Coffee, that can really help to set uh, my equilibrium. It's good for you. You can try it if you want down at Carbon Cafe and Bar Drip Denver, Slow High Coffee, uh, Blue Sparrow Coffee, and Max Market. It's non-psychoactive, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to worry about any of the things that you may have heard uh, about what this crazy CBD stuff is. Is it marijuana? No, it's not any of those things. It's not psychoactive. Uh, you're not going to feel weird or different. It doesn't affect you that way. It's just something that isn't going to give you all of the terrible things that you can oftentimes get from regular coffee. And it's going to help with things like long-term migraines. It's helped me a great deal. Decreasing anxiety. Again, I can personally vouch for this. Arthritis, I get, I get achy. I, I've, I've been a tall guy for a very long time. I had a bad back issues. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm not making this up because they're a sponsor, though it's awesome and we love them. Strava Craft Coffee is phenomenal for all of these things. So remember to purchase online for 20% off using code DNVR20. And go in the air, deep right center go. field. Two-run home run, Trevor Story. Way back, Myers, he'll watch it go out. Chuck Nasty. Two-run home run, David Dahl. And Nolan drives this high in the air, deep left field. Take a good look, you won't see it for long. Welcome into the DNVR Rockies podcast presented by Mile High Green Cross. Sign up for their loyalty program and receive 20% off your entire purchase once per month. Tag them, show us how you value their community support because we got to support one another during these times. Again, their loyalty program will get you 20% off at Mile High Green Cross. Well, today I am joined by our host, Drew Creaseman at Drew Creaseman. Uh, I am your host for today, substituting, if you will, in a role reversal. 
at Patrick D. Lyons, and we just watched the fourth inning of Ken Burns' documentary, Baseball. And I don't know about you, but that was my least favorite one. (laughs) Yeah, you know, um, it wasn't necessarily my favorite one. I will say this. It its best moments may have been my favorite moments. Like, well, you know, I'm a sap uh, and people out there know I'm, I'm, I can get very emotional when I watch things. And uh, there were both moments with Christy Mathewson and with Babe Ruth that really tugged at my heartstrings. Uh, and, and, you know, particularly with Mathewson, there was one moment where I could feel myself getting a little, choked up a little teary-eyed and as much as i've preferred the sort of baseball history and these really classic moments and these ancient legends of the game in the early few episodes uh none of them have really gotten me into an emotional place beyond super nostalgic for the game of baseball which which is its own like category of thing um i i felt just some human sadness in this one and maybe that's why it's a little bit tougher to watch overall Yeah, the characters who are real people that we get to learn in those first three innings, you, you know, have a much more deeper fondness than you would have for anybody else up to this point. And, you know, we hear about Candy Cummings passing in the decade of the 20s. And you learn about, you know, Christy Mathewson and how his health deteriorated so quickly after World War One. And you're right, it, it, it tugs at your heartstrings is that these, these Goliaths of the game are mere human beings and they are now, you know, succumbing to death. So was, it was sad in that way. I was not uh, too crazy about it simply because it was all about Babe Ruth, a guy whose story I know inside and out. Um, I, I think a lot of people do. I think there are some nuances and some details that each time you watch it, you might have picked up and have learned something new, but ultimately it, it, it didn't, uh, hit on anything new that I, I didn't already know. So we'll we'll get back to that, I think, towards the end um, and instead start with uh, a notable incident that, that took place in 1920, uh, and that, that being the, the death of Ray Chapman. There's a fantastic book that I tweeted about called The Pitch That Killed by Mike Soule, and it's all about this incident of a pitcher on New York Yankees, Carl Mays, hitting um, a batter on, on Cleveland, their, their, their star shortstop, Ray Chapman, hitting him with a pitch, likely um, due to the fact that Mays was somewhat of a headhunter. But as it was uh, discussed throughout this inning, was that this was the dead ball era. This was at least towards the end of the dead ball era. And what marked it as such was obviously the, the low amount of home runs, not partly due to the baseballs that were knocked around and, you know, continued to be used and kept in play. And over time, they got so scuffed up and dirty and muddy that it became so much harder for hitters to be able to see the baseball coming out of a pitcher's hand and to be able to track it. So yeah, there was a close up shot in one of the photographs. I can't remember who. In fact, I'm not even sure we were supposed to know who, you know, sometimes they're mm-hmm. just putting up these phenomenal, phenomenal photographs. Got to watch this episode actually back at home now with my photographer girlfriend who was just marveling at the 
quality of of the photos as we've discussed before but yeah they zoom in on a baseball in a pitcher's hand at one point i'm like were you throwing a rock what what is that <laughs> thing you would you would not recognize you had to squint to to see the seams on that thing it was pretty gunked up when when i was a freshman in high school uh we we started the season off with brand new baseballs but they weren't the the game quality ones that we're, we're supposed to have um, according to our, our, you know, uh, association that, that we were with in, in the Jersey shore. And so these practice baseballs, they got so lopsided. I have no idea what was inside of them, but they, they were almost square at a certain point and they, they weren't much different than the little sock baseballs that we put together just to use when hitting right. a ball off of the tee. It was like, Hey, get, find an old pair of sock, uh, of socks uh, and just wrap some duct tape around it. And it was like those baseballs were just as good as the poor qualities that we were using. But yeah, th- those baseballs were were atrocious. And you know, when, when Chapman got hit in the head, the ball caromed off of his skull uh. in such a way that the the fielders actually made a play on the ball because they thought that it was it was hit. And yeah, it, it was a sad story because Chapman kind of came up from from nothing and was just finally establishing himself as a star. And you know, his uh, there was a lot of bad luck. You know, um, fell upon his his family after his death because he didn't die immediately. He was still in the hospital for a couple of days, and just a, a, a super super sad story. And and the worst part about it is Cleveland was the best team in the American League, and you know, kind of all but altered their fate a little bit that year and it, and it begged the question you know did did carl mays do that intentionally and you know thankfully thankfully we, we haven't seen a death in the majors like that we we have seen it in the minors for various reasons i know um there was a third base coach who um i think it was actually he was with the the rockies um, he was and it was in the year 2007 and now unfortunately I'm blanking on the name, but I was at game three of the National League Division Series in 2007, started by Ubaldo Jimenez, uh, oftentimes remembered as the blackout game because the young man in his rookie year was pitching an absolute gem against the National League champion Philadelphia Phillies, and all the lights at Coors Field went out, and there was a, like, 20 minute delay or 30 minute to delay to get them back on. It was super eerie and strange. But the other thing that I remembered about that game was that this third base coaches kids threw out the first pitch. And so we were all very emotional uh, to begin the night. I'll see if I can find that. Yes. Um, Mike, Mike cool. Bob's that's pretty right. sure, pretty sure the name because his, his brother, Scott Coolbot, he was a third baseman with the Rangers. And I remember, you know, liking him when I was much younger and thinking about how, you know, awful that was that, that something like that could, could happen in the modern game and, and that, and then an alteration or an adjustment such as having the first and third base coach wear a little helmet, even without ear flaps could have saved, potentially saved his life. It's like, you know, we sometimes tradition isn't tradition because it's right. It's just no one actually thinks, Hey, can we do this better? And and finally now, you know, they, they have done it better. Isn't it jarring to see all this footage and all these photos of guys standing in there and taking swings and running the bases and just their caps. Like it's, 
that was it. Yeah, that was how you played the game. It's crazy. It's amazing. More more people weren't killed. Absolutely. Well, it's the same thing when if you watch old football highlights, and obviously they just wore those kind of thin leather helmets. But at least in that case, you and the same thing for rugby too, because that's that's similar situation there with the lack of padding. But you kind of learn how to play the game without that protection in order to be you know, effective. And so I, I think that was the case for, for hitters. And we talked about Ty Cobb crowding the plate on Walter Johnson and how people didn't do that because they didn't have helmets and they didn't yeah. have elbow guards like Barry Bonds. <laughs> so they had to be a little bit cautious when it came right. to, to batting a, a, against a guy who could, you know, bring it in, in somewhere in the 90 mile per hour. Yeah, uh, I wanted to mention one last thing on the baseballs, and I actually don't know if this is true, but it was something that uh, I didn't see in this doc, and so I wanted to bring it up because we were talking about the composition of the baseballs and the dead ball era, and I was taught in high school by a history teacher who I absolutely loved, who loved the game of baseball. She was fantastic. That, um, you know, even before this, back in the Civil War, when the baseballs were just really just made up of tightly wound string twine and they would throw it and they would hit it. And then when it would come back to the pitcher, they would have to wind it up. And that is where we get the term wind up. I don't know if that's true. I just know that a teacher told me that in high school. And I just remembered it right now as we were <laughs> discussing the composition of the baseballs. I don't know the answer to that, but that that makes all the sense in the world. That that makes all the sense in the world. It's kind of how I, I remember not that long ago, um, learning like why do they call it a strike? If you think about it, like why why is that called a strike? In fact, if if in most strikes the guy did not strike the ball, um, right? So yeah, it it all kind of comes from that that the the etymology of of where these words come from. And I'm gonna say I'm gonna say your teacher was right on that. I'm going to say yeah. 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 Congratulations, Mrs. Leguero. Nailed it. Oh, shout out. Do we, do we know her Twitter handle? <laughs> <laughs> right. We got to get your mom set up first before we worry about uh, taking right. care of, of Miss Leguero. But if you need to be taken care of with your beer, wine, and spirits, you definitely got to go to Davidson's. They got two locations in our area in Centennial and Highlands Ranch, locally owned with a massive selection. And you know they got Breck Brews. So, Definitely hit them up. You can download their app for some incredible deals. Sign up for their loyalty program. Tag us when you get some some booze from them. As uh, in a way, they are considered very essential uh, during these times. So you can still pick that up uh, and use their app. Sign up for their loyalty program for even more benefits, uh, and you will you will definitely appreciate that. That would be a good segue to to get us into Babe Ruth speaking about alcohol. But I'm gonna hold <laughs> off. I'm gonna hold off even more. Don't take that low-hanging fruit. That's too, no, that's I'm too not. easy. Exactly. That's... I'm, I'm going to mention it, but I'm going to mention how I'm not going there. Uh, you know, I did go, I, I swung by Davidson's on the way back to the house, because uh, as you, you mentioned, we weren't sure there for a second uh, whether or not this was going to be an essential thing, but I, I think they've they've properly decided, look, if we're all going to be inside, um, we're going to need our Breck brew. So I did, I swung by, uh, we got the 15-pack. Nice. I, I blew through a strawberry sky immediately. Uh, <laughs> you know, we're watching this uh, doc. It was it was gone before I knew it. Now I'm working on an avalanche. Uh, you know, good good standby, nice classic. 
both great beers, but it's nice that you get to try all of them, saving those uh, vanilla Porter juniors for uh, after dinner. Those are, those are my dessert beers. I'll have to ask you a question about that. I got I have a good follow-up question that, that we'll get to a little bit. Hopefully I can remember, but we, we had alluded to it in the previous inning and we knew it was coming, but 1920 Rube Foster, our guy forms the Negro national league finally gets it yeah. together where he's able to, to organize it and get some of these Negro league teams together. And, you know, he was given all the credit in the world for, for, for coaching up Christy Mathewson. And, you know, we, we heard that opposing managers or really the, the managers in the major leagues in the white major leagues, they studied his games for tactics and, mm-hmm. you know, he, he was, he was, a, uh, he was tough on players, but, but not in any, you know, um, ridiculous light, you know, he would just find them if they, if they stood up on a tag play, tell them, Hey, you're supposed to slide. And overall, you know, you got to play hard like John McGraw's guys. So it's kind of neat to, to see that respect and to see, you know, the, the genesis of the, you know, Negro leagues, which is now 100 years ago in our, in our, in our country, in our sports history. Yeah. Uh, this has always been one of my favorite stories, uh, of this whole documentary. And I wish even more time was spent on it. And I'm sure there are great documentaries just on the Negro leagues and, uh, the history, maybe just even of, of, of black baseball in this country going back before that. And then the formulation of this league and then integration and, and so on. Um, I would absolutely love to see something like that, but we had talked, I can't remember now which episode it was about, you know, the movie of John McGraw. How is it possible that somebody this interesting hasn't had their movie doubly so for Rube Foster, I would say one of the most interesting, because even though there isn't this sort of fictionalized, you know, biopic, how do you say that word? Biopic? Bio. That's how I would say it. But I have heard folks say biopic, and I'm like, no, it's not. I'm not going to go see a pick. I'm going to see a pick, a bio (laughs) pick, not a bio bio pick. Yeah, bio. Correct. Okay, good. We're right and they're wrong. Uh, This goes back to Smokey. Cut the conversation about how you spell Smokey yesterday. (laughs) That's right. That's right. There was another word thing in this one that I I thought maybe we'd get into it. We'll, We'll see what happens, but um. Yeah, I, I'm I'm thinking, you know, we all know who John McGraw is, even though we haven't seen the John McGraw movie because it doesn't exist. I feel like people, by and large, do not know the story of Rube Foster, um, and they should. Everyone should. Absolutely. There's, you know, not, not too many movies uh, on the Negro Leagues, unfortunately. And in fact, I, I think there's probably only one technically um, that was, you know, actually released in theaters. And that was more just about barnstorming. That was uh, Billy mm-hmm. D Williams, Richard Pryor, James Earl Jones. It was called like bingo longo traveling all-stars and motor Kings. So again, they're, they're barnstorming team. And um, this came out, I think in the late seventies, I've never seen it. The one I did see was it was an HBO movie again, right right in the, in our wheelhouse and in, in, in the, the mid to late nineties called soul of the game that, you know, featured, uh, Blair Underwood was Jackie Robinson. Uh, here I'm looking at the picture. So I'm trying to remember the actor's names, Delroy Lindo. I think he was Satchel page 
And then um, mm. the guy who played Bubba from uh, Forrest Gump, his name was like McKelty Williamson. He played oh yeah, uh, Josh uh, Gibson. So it was mainly wow. just about those three guys and kind of intertangling that story a little bit. But you know, there's a couple you know documentaries out there that that you know cover cover the Negro Leagues, but don't give it the dedication that you know they they should get right like something like this there should be almost a, a ken burns baseball equivalent for the negro leagues it, it it wouldn't be able to be a you know full nine innings and and two hours for each inning uh in each episode because there isn't as much history there but there's definitely you know there's definitely research to be done and and, and information that's out there when i was at the saber convention last summer in san diego i sat in on one of those um, committee meetings, and I was blown away by all kinds of stuff uh, that I had I had never learned uh, about African American ball players in the Pacific Coast League. Kind of integrating them before the major leagues and and trips in uh, Japan. So one one interesting thing about the barnstorming trips in Japan around this time was that the Japanese players liked playing the Negro League stars more. The games were always closer. And the Negro League players always like shared their ideas and like they, they, they worked with one another. They coached them up. Whereas when the American guys came over, it was just about we got to dominate these smaller Japanese players and we'll win games, you know, 10-0. Rube, Rube Foster, being one of those guys, also understood that, hey, you're going to get people back to the ballpark if it's not a blowout every single game. If, if the fans in, in that particular hometown think that those players have a chance, then they're going to come out to the game to try to see it. But if it's a blowout each and every time, it's like, it's like, what's the point? You know, it's, we, we know that with wrestling, you, you have to believe like there's got to be a chance for this guy to win. And now it, it becomes believable. Now you want to watch. Otherwise you kind of know what's going to happen when it's Brock Lesnar against Kofi Kingston. <laughs> oh, 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 I'm still mad about it. Um <laughs> <laughs> No, yeah, and I and I think that's a great commentary, almost on. Um, God, I, I I can't. You'll you'll remember this, uh, and I won't get the whole thing. I, I think it was a Seinfeld character. Actually, now that I'm thinking deeper on it, it might be Third Rock from the Sun. But I remember a character from one of those two sitcoms, who, um, was so like weirdly positive and optimistic that he would do negative things on purpose. So that like he would more better experience like he would drink tea because but he hates tea, uh, but it made his coffee taste better. Uh, <laughs> that was, I'm going to say that's third rock from the sun. Just, okay. If it was Seinfeld, that's my wheelhouse. I got you on that. I was hoping it was actually, I think George, that's mostly what it was. I was hoping you would be able to fill in the blanks. But George, as I started telling the story, I, I know, yeah, that's third rock. Costanza very famously, he just said, all my instincts are wrong. So I'm just going to do the exact opposite of what I, what I think I should do. And then everything started working out for him. Like, great. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that, that, that almost sounds like, um, it's very enlightened. If you think about it, like, you know what, I'm going to kind of sacrifice today so that tomorrow is a little enjo more enjoyable. I, I kind of do that with my coffee too. I, I try not to, to drink it on like Mondays, Tuesdays. If I can go Wednesday, <laughs> 
Yeah, because now on Thursday, I'm like, ooh, that's good. And that's not even my favorite kind. And then Friday, I go up to something a little bit nicer. And then on the weekends, that's when I'm um, I'm doing my, you know, <laughs> fresh Weirdo. roasted Ethiopian <laughs> beans, uh, French press, grind them up. And then it's like, oh, man, I've really this this is something. So you, sir, have the, the patience of <laughs> a baseball player or, or or at least some baseball fans, the way baseball fans um, many of them are that, that was sort of the comment, right. That that's being made here is it's like, yeah, the game isn't what it is without the 60 losses you're going to take every year, unless you're the 1927 New York Yankees, but the rest of us are going to lose a lot. And you almost as, as a baseball fan, it, it's, it, and it was different too, because it used to be people were much more fans just of the sport. I think a lot of people still are, but it's more common these days to be fans of a particular team and you follow that one team. And if that team sucks, then your life is just miserable. And that's not how everyone does it. I think that's how, how some people do it. But I do think there's a lot of people out there that are just baseball fans and almost have come to enjoy the pain of it. You know what I mean? Have almost come to just, uh, you take that horrible loss and you go, man, baseball really is like drinking a bunch of tea and then finally getting to have that coffee. <laughs> we we also saw in this chapter uh, closer to the end, you know, touching on the careers of, of Rogers Hornsby, which I, I find that to be a great name. Rogers. Mm. That's pretty cool. His nickname was the Raja. Um, mm. Great, great all time. Probably the greatest second baseman of all time, uh, predominantly mm. with the St. Louis Cardinals. Also, George Sisler of the Crosstown St. Louis Browns, uh, who was a first baseman. And, you know, this, this chapter also goes into discussing some of the great scribes, some of the great sports writers, like um, Ford Frick, who was very notably a, uh, a ghostwriter for Babe Ruth and would later become the commissioner during the 60s, at which point he decided that if Roger Maris did not hit 61 home runs in 154 games like Babe Ruth, then there would be an asterisk next to uh, that record. So, uh, But again, he was, he was a writer at that time, Ring Lardner, Damon Runyon, and Shirley Povich, who is only my favorite because, you know, again, he, he wrote so much about Walter Johnson, but also uh, last summer in, in going to Nationals Park, um, the press box was called the Shirley you know, Povich press box. And it had all kinds of different artifacts of his up, you know, like 50 years of pins that I guess when you, when you covered the world series, you would get a pin, um, for, for doing that. So it had all those on display and cool. even had, even had his, his score book up from when Don Larson, um, you know, threw a perfect game. And what was interesting about that score book was that, and I took a photograph of it was that it didn't just say, Larson's perfect game. It said Larson's no reach perfect game, right. which of course, if it's perfect, no one reached, but it made me think like, Oh, you know what? The phrase perfect game hadn't, you know, no pun intended, uh, been perfected, right? It, it hadn't been like, Nope, that's mm -hmm. just what it is. It was a no reach perfect game. Um, yeah, so, yeah. I, I thought of something very similar in the last episode. I think it was uh, the young rookie, Harry Hooper, uh, writing home to family. And he had written something like, I got a, a base hit 
against Walter Johnson, it brought in the final run and we won the game or something like that. Like there wasn't the terminology for I hit a walk off. Right. I hit a I hit a game winning walk off like that terminology did not yet exist. So to hear him describe a very basic tenant of baseball at its most fundamental um I thought it was very similar to, yeah, a no read to perfect game or some of these other phrases that we hear uh, that haven't been sort of institutionalized yet. Yeah. And, and, and the ones that have faded away, like, like you like rowdyism and soak, yeah. right. And getting, getting mm-hmm. soaked getting getting hit by the mm-hmm. ball. And um, I like calling fans cranks. Yeah. Yeah. And, we and, both and like twirlers. Twirlers. Good. Yeah. We got. We got to. We still got to research the windup. We got to remember that. Yeah. Um. One thing I we know everyone out there listening is going to remember is that Breckenridge Brewery is our official beer of DNVR. And the question I want to ask you, Drew, is there one singular Breck brew that just pairs well with watching old timey baseball like this, or do you think each chapter kind of has their own flavor that would pair well with Ken Burns baseball? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I think I, I think some of the older ones you're gonna do better with the more standbys, like the like even yeah. a lager, I feel like the the Breck lager, um, or the Mile High City mm. um are gonna go well with the older ones. As you get, you know, more into the the twenties and thirties, I feel like that's a very vanilla portery uh time in our in our history and then we start getting into modern times and the strawberry sky um because of the color i feel like as soon as we get color tv strawberry sky pairs with color television you know what i mean the Um, the one thing i I know didn't pair was (laughs) was you said you cracked over strawberry sky watching babe ruth i'm like no that sounds (laughs) wrong um there's there's no wrong way to do breck breck brew but uh, I'm thinking there's got to be a better choice than than watching George Herman Ruth and those little bowling pin legs run around the bases drinking a strawberry sky. So okay, so you 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 were able to figure out some of that that pair really well. <laughs> yeah, no, he would have called me names for having fruit in my beer, and look, I get it, but it's delicious. And you know, but I would I would have had a vanilla porter with Babe Ruth, as as flawed a human being as he was. Uh, probably at one point the most famous person in the world that who wasn't like a president or a king or, you know, stuff like that. I mean, like the most famous, just celebrity. Um, and in some ways still one of the most famous and iconic images, he was quite photographic. They, they did not shy away. Like you said, maybe a little too much Ruth. Um, but that face. Bob, Bob Costa <laughs> said something great. It was a cool story about, um, you know, more anecdotal than anything about two guys arguing like at a pub and uh, almost like Barney and Wade Boggs in the Homer at the Bat episode uh, arguing over who the, the greatest kings of England were. But the, the American just finally said, you know, something disparaging about the king of England. And so the British guy, the only thing that he could think to say is something disparaging about Babe Ruth. And Costas right. just kind of wraps it up saying like, yeah, I think that's pretty good. I, I don't think I would trade Babe Ruth, you know, for any king whatsoever. Yeah. He so, is a, a distinctly American American. Well, we want you to just go out and support our partners like 
Breckenridge Brewery during this crazy time. You can order from the farmhouse. Uh, you can get a meal. They also can, can put a beer uh, in your to-go container at the farmhouse. Use our code DNVR, and you actually save $5 off your meal. So consider that to be your happy hour uh, if you're taking some Breck brews. And you know what? The 15-can sampler, if you get that through Drizzly, that could be the way to go. Um, Drew, you might have to keep folks updated and say, okay, this inning, you might want to go Colorado core. The next one, we're thinking more strawberry sky. So you'll have that flexibility. You want to have your Breck brew flexibility with that eight 15 can sampler. So you can really make sure you're, you're flexible and you get the right notes and right flavors paired with the right inning of Ken Burns baseball. I'll be on it. You hit me up on Twitter. I'll let you know which one to drink. Also, that hot peak, man, that IPA is an IPA drinker's IPA. That is a whoo. You, you, you better <laughs> enjoy, you, and, and I am one, so that'll pair with any of them. But you let me know, I'll, I'll get you set. There you go. And if, and if you need to get set with your set, that's a time for Manscaped. Let's talk <laughs> about some Manscaping. Um, yeah, basically, their lawnmower 3.0 is new and improved and you know, they worked 18 months uh, on this trimmer and it's it's pretty fantastic we actually got some uh, in at the office and they're yeah they're 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 top notch and uh, and and we believe it so much so that uh, if you use our code dnvr20 they're gonna actually give you 20 percent off your entire purchase with free shipping that 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 might be the best piece and uh, along with a battery that lasts up to 90 minutes which depending on what you got going on there, um, you, you might have to do some, <laughs> look, you might have to really trim those hedges. It, it could be a, a, right. a, a long ordeal. And look, I was, uh, I was quarantined down there in Phoenix <laughs> for like, 15 days. Just got back to my house. I got the box ready. It's next on my agenda. I'm manscaping this evening. I'll, I'll give everyone a full report, full detail report. <laughs> on on the outcomes we'll have stats we'll have post game we'll have the mvp we'll have the turning point we'll have all the diamond details and 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 since you know like you said you've been quarantined for a while and this could take upwards of 90 minutes what's a good breck brew that can pair with okay we're going too far (laughs) you might need two or three if it's you're going a full 90 minutes you might need two or three to bring with you that's right that's why that sampler is is so important um, but yeah, the, the, the important guy that, that this episode was, was all about and was, was entitled after a national heirloom, which is still true to this day. It's, it still is. I think, you know, there's so many, not just baseball fans, but I just think sports fans and human beings in general in America, you know, our society has gotten fragmented in, in so many different ways for better, for worse. Um, but I think there's a few names that transcend, I, I think, you know, younger people today, you know, in, in high schools and even middle schools, they know Michael Jordan, of course, with Jordan sneakers. But I think Babe Ruth still translates uh, in, in every way possible as being this larger than life figure in American history. Yeah, I, I think he might even be the most. I was trying to remember. I think I saw. Now, I can't remember which magazine it was. To my recollection, it was Rolling Stone, but an initial Google search has, has yielded nothing. Um, but somebody did, maybe it was the New York Times, a, a big magazine like that, the greatest icons in American history. 
there was 100, 150, maybe 200 of them. And again, to my recollection, Babe Ruth was in the top five. I believe wow. Superman was number one as the sort of single greatest American symbol mm. and icon uh, known around the world. But I believe that George Washington and Babe Ruth were in the top five. And, and I think of it also this way, you know, you and I are wrestling fans and we know who some of the best wrestlers of all time are, but we also know the one name who, if you ask anyone's grandma, anyone's aunt or uncle, you ask somebody who's been living in a different country, someone who doesn't own a television. If they've heard of professional wrestling, there's one name they know. And that's Hulk Hogan. <laughs> it's not always awesome that that's true. Um, and, and it may never change. And I, I feel like Babe Ruth for a much wider audience because baseball is an intrinsic element of American society. And America became, especially during this time, an, an invaluable member of the international community. And as Bob Costas put it, the, the face of that was this ball player. Um, it, it's almost unimaginable to me that any, and you, you mentioned the only other name that I think has come close in Michael Jordan. Um, yeah. Th that a, a professional athlete could reach that level of global icon status. For sure. Yeah. And, you know, we've, we alluded to it, you know, in the, the last inning about, you know, the, the Black Sox scandal and how, you know, Babe Ruth was able to, to save the game. But another important, you know, detail that, that comes from this is that August 5th, 1921, the first ever, baseball game is broadcasted on radio. So we, we forget that, you know, before television, there was radio and, you know, the, the first star to kind of jump out of, of speakers all across the country was Babe Ruth. And, you know, we, we know about some of his exploits off the field, but, and, and if, you know, fans had caught wind of it, you know, there would be a lot of people, you know, either turning off Yankee games or, you know, not, not buying any of the products that he endorsed, but because he was just larger than life, they realized that, you know, and they said this, that, you know, you can't boo home runs. So they just kind of embraced it and said, you know what, let's, let's, let's talk about the, the, the person and, uh, and how lovable he is. And let's just talk about his exploits on the field. So all of that kind of bled into, you know, a new generation of, of Americans too, saying, oh, wow, the, the, the national pastime is baseball. The number one star is Babe Ruth, and there's nobody else that is even a close second. The records that he set and, and the numbers that he put up were just astronomical. Um, he, he had the home run record twice. Ned Williamson had 27 home runs in 1884, which is quite the outlier because they didn't hit a lot of home runs. Uh, in the late 1800s, but he goes and hits 29 home runs uh, and then follows that up and breaks that the next year with 54. Then the next year breaks his record again with 59 and then several years later breaks it uh, with 60. So he actually sets the record four 
different times. Now for somebody to do it, you would have had you'd have to approach at least 80 to do that. He hit more <laughs> home runs than entire teams did, than multiple teams did. And it just it just wasn't even close. I think they said when he retired, obviously he was first in, in home runs and and would only be surpassed by um, Hank Aaron until Barry Bonds did it much later. But when when Ruth retired, Lou Gehrig was second all time in home runs, and he had less than half of what Babe Ruth did at that point. Yeah, yeah. the The numbers are staggering. We got a few other, well, let's step away from Babe Ruth for just a second. We'll get back into it, but you just reminded me uh, of a few other staggering numbers. We, we're introduced uh, to Lou Gehrig in this episode, so we yeah. don't quite get to his staggering number, but of course we all know he's started to uh, build toward it. Um, and then the big ones were, of course, this is the decade where uh, Ty Cobb, finished playing baseball and when they throw out all of his numbers in a row i almost wish <laughs> they could like slow down because it's for everything you you don't like this man and fine and that's you, you fine um but he could hit <laughs> when you hear those numbers man uh, i don't care what era you're playing in over four thousand hits at three was it 367 career Lifetime batting average? Yeah, number one 66. all the time. Yeah. That'll, that'll yeah. never get taken down, no doubt. It's never. it's interesting that how, you know, I hadn't thought of it in this context, but because of that first class in the Baseball Hall of Fame in which Ty Cobb received the most votes, he got like 98%. You know, on one hand, you got to think, you know, some of the voters were like, I don't know, man, word could get out that I didn't vote for him and that could be really bad for me. So, let me give him, you know, my vote, even though he hated me, or even though he was a real pain in the, you know what, uh, they they still went out and voted him. And two, you know, it also set kind of a precedence that like it doesn't really matter what you do off the field, almost doesn't matter what you do in the clubhouse with your teammates, but if you produce on the field, that is the standard by which we're going to decide if you are worthy of being an all-time great in Cooperstown, New York. Yeah, sure did. Um, and and that rings true also with, you know, there there have been a lot of, we've had to talk about three-dimensional characters with John McGraw and Ty Cobb playing in benefit games and stuff. And the story of the babe is a difficult one and and one that, you know, we're not going to try to go back and relitigate or, or parse or anything. Um, but I, do, I did find two on-field exploits near the end of it absolutely strange to me things i had uh, totally forgotten about uh in terms of his on the field legacy one was that he got thrown out trying to steal second base to end a world series yeah uh where are you going babe <laughs> what, what, that's like that'd be like <laughs> nolan arenado getting thrown out trying to steal second base like that is not what you get paid for bro no, he Babe Ruth stole 123 bases in his day, which you're like, wow, that's probably more than a lot of people would have guessed. But he was thrown out 117 times, and they didn't even keep track his first few years. So there's a good chance he had only a 50 50 percent stolen wow. base percentage. So yeah, that was yeah, that goes down as as being dubious. You know, I I don't know what creative name they would have uh, called that his, his error to end a World Series like that, but. He was the babe, so you know he, he kind of got away with it a little bit. 
Yeah, I guess so. Uh, the other one that they just sort of said and glossed over, and I couldn't see, and I don't know if the footage was supposed to match up with the narration, but they were talking about his march to 60 home runs. And they mentioned that I think the second to last one was an inside the park home run. And my thought was, were they playing at the polo grounds? <laughs> well, at Yankee Stadium, um, which you know was was built in 1923 and was obviously uh, noted as the house that Ruth built, but the center all the way out to center field might have been close to to 500 feet um, in the original um, stadium. There's there were since you know two versions when they in the 70s they kind of did a lot of you know reconstruction of the stadium um, and then they they put a fence up you know, much sooner, but in some of the clips we might end up seeing from when you see DiMaggio and, and, and Mantle patrolling center field at Yankee stadium, they, the, the monuments were actually in play. So if, if, even if now, if you see what the new Yankee stadium looks like, you know, like in center field, there's a little monument there that's, that's covered uh, with netting. But if that netting wasn't there and you got rid of the fence, that center field wall would have been deep, like like anything and so i i imagine you know it, ruth could kind of you know sometimes when he needed to hit them where they weren't so he wouldn't necessarily be looking for the long ball so you know imagine it playing center field somewhere where you've got you know a good 450 feet from home plate to center and you've got a guy with a great batting average hits the ball hard can, can has some you know bat control but could also hit it over your head where do you play him you play too shallow, he's he's got an easy triple. Uh, you play him too deep, he's going to dunk one in, much like at Coors Field. So, um, yeah, th- those inside the park. He, he was probably also a lot quicker than we would have thought a guy of his size, um, especially if he knew he he had gotten all of one and and really need to get on his horse to to get that record. At, at any other point in his career, you know, he probably would have been hustling that hard. He would have been fine with a stand up triple. But as you said, he was it was the March for sixty. So. He uh, he needed that one in, in 27. Yeah, he, he was obviously going for it. But there are some things like that. Like, I think back, you know, I wonder if they were to make a, a documentary. You know, unfortunately, the, the Rockies haven't been historically significant enough to play in any of these. Um, and I don't think they'll be, uh, you know, despite the run in 2007. We'll see, you know, if they're featured at all in, in that decade. But you know, I wonder because so much we know all the talk about the ballpark and and in history they gloss over these things that Ruth is hitting inside the park home runs at stadiums with dimensions we just wouldn't see today. And and then we all know about other short porches and things that exist. And we we heard a little bit about Fenway and its weird dimensions in the last episode that we watched. So, you know, it's it's like it's lightly touched upon. And I would hope that someday in the, you know, when Ken Burns kid is making documentaries about uh, <laughs> these <laughs> decades and we get to tell the story of the Rockies and of, of Rocky greats like Larry Walker and Todd Helton and Nolan Arenado, that it's about them and whatever thing about the ballpark is as small a note as that was. True. I, I, Man, I I hate to say this, but it not now that, happen. Well, no, 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 no. Now that you brought that up, that really makes me think that the eleventh inning 
covering 2000 to 2009 will almost certainly touch on you know the the impact of of Coors Field. I don't I don't know that it was mentioned at all from the tenth inning. I've only seen that probably once, maybe maybe parts of it a second time. Me too. Yeah. But I you know by the point in which they he was already you know working on that. Um, you know the Rockies had gone to the World Series in two thousand seven. So you might have said, ah, you know what? There's still I have I got too much stuff already in the nineties. Let's let's maybe hold off in the two thousands because hey, they made it to the World Series. You know, maybe they, they have a, a small little dynasty there for, for a little while. And, yeah, they, they went to the playoffs two out of three years there. But but I, I think there's a decent chance that could be, you know, part of the, the storyline. That could be a good way of getting into the PEDs and the rise of home runs, both, you know, naturally in a, in a way, right? At Coors Field, it is natural. There's nothing um, There's nothing illegal going on there. But the natural way and both the the unnatural way of using performance enhancing drugs. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be really fascinating to see how he handles that. He'll definitely t- touch on all the PED stuff and all the home runs and uh, you know the Red Sox finally winning. Um, but I'll be very curious to see if any time is spent on Coors Field or or the Rockies. I would hope it wouldn't be one and not the other. It'd be, right. The worst case scenario for Rockies fans is there's talk about the ballpark and then no talk about the run in 07. Um, yeah. It was a pretty crazy run. Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that would have to get, that would have to get mentioned, no, no doubt. Well, if, if you're following along with uh, our new channel, our DNVR Gaming, one potential performance enhancer, uh, you could be found at Mile High Green Cross. Um, support our partners because they're supporting us. And again, they, their loyalty program is going to get you 20% off your entire purchase once a month. They're actually located in Denver at, at 9th and Broadway. You can park in the back. They've got it set up. They're also essential. They've, they've got some proper spacing. So you make sure that no one's you know breathing down your, your neck and you're going to have your good six feet in front of you. So it's a, a safe spot to go out, out and, uh, and get your your performance enhancers for DNVR gaming, and, and and Drew can help you out with that, and in more ways than one. They also yes. offer Hyfer, so you don't even need cash with you. Beautiful segue, my friend. Hey man, <laughs> expertly done. I, I'm trying to. So my favorite Babe Ruth story is June seventeenth, nineteen ninety three. Now, whoa, yeah, Babe Ruth comes back from the dead. No, I was 19, say, wow. <laughs> seen who's paying attention here. Uh, 1923, in the season that uh, is where Babe Ruth is, is coming back, and he he feels bad after the the 19 you know 22 season, and is kind of embarrassed, and he he realizes that he's he's got to really you know shape up a little bit, um, and it coincides with the opening of Yankee Stadium, but he's he's pitching on this particular day, and the home plate umpire calls two close two borderline pitches ball and he walks the first batter. And in the process of respectfully uh, disagreeing with the home plate umpire gets himself ejected, takes two swings at the umpire, one of which connects in his right ear. And obviously all hell breaks loose. Well, once the dust literally and figuratively settles, the replacement pitcher, Ernie Shore comes in and proceeds to get, the next 27 batters out in a row for what is not a perfect game because he came in with a runner on first that was walked, 
but a no-hitter. So to the trivia question, hey, has Babe Ruth ever thrown a no-hitter? The answer somehow is yes. Technically. Yes. Oh, uh, yeah. No, I, lo- I love that story, too. It's it's so very baseball, though. I, I did experience in one of my very first um, hockey watches something like that this year for the Colorado Avalanche when uh, they were already down to their second string goalie who took a shot like seven seconds into the game or something. It was a ridiculous. It was definitely <laughs> less than a minute. And the goalie went down, and so was it Adam Warner? Werner, you cover yeah. the Eagles. Warner, Adam um, Warner. Yeah, had to come in, and he had a shutout. He he ended up pitching a shutout. They probably don't say pitching a shutout. That's my term. <laughs> That's our terminology. Here. Hockeying a shutout. He hockeyed a shutout right he there. He shutout. Do, he did that hockey, and he did it well. <laughs> and but he didn't get the shutout for it. Right. And I I was very upset. <laughs> Right, yeah. Now I, I remember that game. I think he had like thirty two saves and yeah. um and, and if we're gonna if we're gonna tie baseball all back into it, is that you know, it was it was a big story a few weeks ago was that Larry Walker was the e bug or the right. emergency backup goalie and that game did not get played because of, of all the shutdowns that we have now. So that was yeah. disappointing. He never got that opportunity. But before we leave, um Drew, do you have a favorite nickname of Babe Ruth? Do you have a a favorite. He had he had a oh, million. The Maharaja. Yeah. I wrote down a couple that I I you know don't. They're not like in the top ten. But the Maharaja of Mash, the Behemoth yeah. of Bust, the Raja of Rap, and the Mammoth of Mall. Those right. are those are. Uh, thank you for participating, but no, those are not in the top ten. Do you have an all time favorite? Um, I mean, I've always gravitated towards Sultan of Swat, and I don't know mm. if that's because of. <laughs> Uh, Sandlot or not, because that's where they really seem their most indignant that Smalls doesn't know who he is. They feel, they're like the Sultan of SWAT. They say it a couple of times. Like, come on, man, you have to know who this person is. Um, <laughs> even the Babe, like in itself, we forget that his name was not Babe. Yeah. <laughs> it's George Herman. Um, that's how you know you've made it when people just assume that your nickname is your name. Yeah, your boy uh, George Bernard Shaw actually opened this inning up with, who is this baby Ruth and what does yeah. she do? Like, yeah. I, think, I think Scotty Smalls also said that too, if, I, if I'm <laughs> right. not mistaken. I like right. Colossus right. of Clout stands out and it's mm. probably because of Sandlot because, um, what was it, Timmy and Tommy? Tommy says the Colossus of Clout, and his younger brother goes the Colossus of Clout. Colossus. So yeah, that's the one that I think that gets it, repeated. Yeah. So I, yeah. so for, for so now because of that film, yeah, Colossus of Clout is what happened to be my 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 favorite of his nicknames. I like that one too because all of the other ones seem to be built around his power hitting, which fair enough. But as we discussed, the most impressive thing about Babe Ruth is his icon status. Uh, his clout, and he was a colossus, both literally and figuratively. So you're right; that might be the best one. And that that almost takes on a new meaning now, because we're you know folks will do anything for clout these days. So now it, sure it has taken on uh, somewhat of a new meaning. Well, that does it 
that that does it for inning four. Um, you should be listening to this Thursday morning and, and cranking up your, your tea or coffee, depending on how withholding you are <laughs> from yourself. Um, but later on uh, today, on Thursday at, at 1 p.m. Pacific, or not Pacific, Mountain Daylight Time, we're going to be watching Nolan's walk-off cycle. That's I think all of Rocky's community is going to be doing that. So we'll, we'll all do that together. Keep it tuned in to uh to our dnvr events page because we're gonna have some more viewings on friday i think we're doing stories first game where he gets three singles or something he has a good game i don't want to spoil it it's okay he has a couple of hits and you're like wow this was a good game he's a rookie it's his first it's his debut he got three three hits good for him rough rough day for zach granke (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) very very rough let's do it We'll continue watching baseball all next week. And uh, so for me, at Patrick D. Lyons, and for him, at Drew Creaseman, we thank you for listening to the DNVR Rockies podcast, and we will see you eventually at the ballpark. Hey, you know there's only one place to get the true Colorado mountain pie, and you still can. You can get Bojo's. You can get it right now. They're offering 30% off takeout orders when you ask for it. Make sure to tag them and us. It's one of these great local businesses that you've got to support. Uh, plus, you, you got to eat. We all still got to eat. They're offering takeout. Uh, their delivery, DoorDash delivers, uh, Bojo's, uh, the Drizzly, check in on those guys. They're a, a delivery service. Um, but the, you can also go and get takeout. You'll get 30% off If you come in and do that, they can hook you up with all kinds of great pizza, uh, salads, the honey cheese bread, just absolutely fantastic. They'll they'll cook to your needs, gluten-free, whatever you need. So make sure to mention DNVR and make a takeout order with the best pizza in the world, Bojo's.